Today we have Clive Davis on the show. Do you want to learn how to build generational wealth? Clive Davis is a prime example of someone who took his knowledge from the corporate world and applied it to real estate. He wanted to set an example for his kids and thought to himself, if not now, when? He's now on a mission to teach the minority community how they can do the same. If you're interested in learning more about multifamily real estate investing, this is the episode for you. Listen and learn. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Clive Davis before we start the show. Clive lives in the Atlanta area. He was a corporate attorney for 20 years with Wall Street and the pharmaceutical industry. He took a chance. He left his corporate career and started to focus on multifamily investing. Now he's on a mission to help others do the same. He has a saying, each one teach one. And he lives that out with his desire and passion to teach others how to build generational wealth. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Clive Davis here with us. Clive, appreciate you coming on the show. How you doing, Darren? Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So just a little on how I know Clive. Uh, we're, we're both part of the same multifamily mentorship group. Uh, based here in Dallas, the Brad Sumrock Group. We have talked several times, but I don't know Clive, you know, that, that well. So I'm looking forward to this conversation to get a better understanding of, of him. And he's also in a different market. So I'm in the Dallas market. I'm in Texas. A lot of the people I hang with are in Texas and Clive is in Atlanta. So I'm interested in, in understanding that market as well. So uh, with that uh, first question I typically ask is how many properties and how many units you're invested in? So I used to have a better uh, handle on that number, but I, I think I've had three or four deals that have gone full cycle in the last few months. So I had gotten up to just over 2,000 units uh, that I had invested in uh, primarily passively. I recently, within the last six months, have closed two deals, which have added 444 units as a GP. The passive count is probably down south of a thousand with those uh, full cycle sales that I mentioned. Fantastic. So, um, when did you join the group? I guess give us a little background on what you were doing before multifamily investing. When you started to look, and kind of how long it took you to to um, to get in the game. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and I love this question because uh, I get to to share with folks that I am not an overnight success in, in the large-scale multifamily world, and I'll get into that 
in responding to your question, but um, just a little bit about uh, of background. So I started out as a corporate transactional lawyer um, on Wall Street, uh, servicing that community. I kind of rotated through uh, M&A, general banking. Ultimately, I settled as a capital markets attorney. So I was doing debt and equity offerings and uh, did that for several years before I transitioned to becoming in-house counsel, uh, transitioning into the pharmaceutical industry. So I actually got my start with Pfizer uh, as a lawyer for them, and they actually relocated me from New York to Atlanta uh, going on 17 years ago. And then uh, a couple years into that, I then became a chief compliance officer for a Belgian pharmaceutical company. So all in all, a 20-year corporate run. And at, wow. at the end of 2016 is when I said, OK, 20 years is a good run. Uh, if not now, when? And the if being, you know, basically, when are you going to scratch that entrepreneurial itch that you've had for some time? Um, and uh, for me, the opportunity was to combine a passion and an interest in real estate, which I'd had throughout that 20 year period. How do I combine that with kind of an entrepreneurial pursuit? And so in 2000, early 2017 is when I started my journey in earnest. But in the early days, it was primarily me having moved my legacy 401k funds from prior employers into a self-directed IRA, and I started heavily invested into commercial real estate with a primary focus on existing multifamily, but I also invested in some ground-up development. Uh, I also invested in some hotels around town here in Atlanta, but the bulk of my investments were in multifamily existing uh, communities. All of that was kind of my preparation. I jokingly refer to it as my self-directed real estate MBA, so um, I knew I wasn't going back to school, uh, at least for any kind of formal academic education. Um, but really, when I left corporate life, I set out on this journey where I was really, uh, I don't think in 2016 or prior, I had even listened to any kind of podcast, let alone a multifamily specific focused podcast. My right. reality totally changed in 2000, late 2016 and 17, where I was listening to podcasts like yours um, two to three times a day. Uh, you know, I was listening to a podcast in addition to attending conferences. Uh, again, I thinking back and reflecting on my corporate life. The only conferences I attended when I was in corporate life were ones that the company was paying for where they were sure. flying me somewhere, they were putting me up in a hotel, and it was related to my, my job in some way, um, all on the company's dime. And so all of that flipped when I kind of set out on this path and said, you know what, I'm going to take this leap of faith and pursue large-scale multifamily. And so, um, you know, that, that's the journey that I've been on. The first, so you mentioned the, the mentoring group that we're a part of. I joined that group at the end of 2018. I put in my, I submitted my first LOI on a, I think it was a 92 unit property here in Atlanta. Um, ended up being a runner up. So this is April of 2019. Ended up being a runner up. And I said, okay, not bad for my first one. You know, I'll get the next one, you know, uh, a month, sure. next month. <laughs> Lo and behold, fast forward 
uh, a little over two years later to summer of 21 was when I landed my first deal. So in between that, obviously, I'm submitting offers. Uh, you know, we've got COVID disrupting things. So there's kind of a five, six month window where there's really no inventory moving. But nonetheless, it took me the better part of two years between submitting my first LOI and getting that first deal awarded. So it's for those reasons that I, I say I'm not an overnight success and it required, you know, perseverance, resilience, all of those things uh, to stay in the game and not kind of get distracted and, and, and resist the temptations to do other things, uh, among which Absolutely. is return to the comfort zone of just go get you a six-figure job that's easily done. Um, and that's, right. that's the primary temptation, especially, you know, the longer that period stretches out. Sure. So you said so many good things there that I want, I, I want to <laughs> follow up on a few of them. Um, you know, you talked about the 20 year corporate run and I mean, it sounds like you had amazing experience. Um, I'm sure you made your family and friends very happy and they were, they were, uh, they admired you for the companies that you worked for and the, the level at the, in the corporate ladder that you, you achieved. Um, but you said something that was interesting, if not now, when, and you said that you had this entrepreneurial itch. And I believe that there's a ton of people out there that feel that way, that, you know, in their gut, they know they want to take a chance you know, and it could be, look, we're, we're both in multifamily real estate investing. It could be in, you know, multifamily real estate investing, commercial real estate investing. It could be starting your own company, but here with the listeners, like, how did you actually, it's hard, man. Like as you go up, you make more money and then you end up typically buying more stuff. And so it makes it hard to make that leap. Like, how did you do that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, I, I, I will not uh, mislead anyone into thinking that it's an easy transition to make. So I talked about comfort zone. And so when you are in uh, various roles and, and the last role that I was in as a, a chief compliance officer for almost nine years, uh, you get very comfortable. Um, you're not necessarily being challenged on a daily basis. You're not necessarily growing in the way that you were when you were in your late 20s and early 30s. Uh, when you're in your mid 40s, you know, uh, approaching 50, uh, the, the types of leaps in, in growth um, are just not there the way they were earlier in your career. That's just natural. Um, but you're definitely in a, a comfort zone. And the danger is that you become complacent. Um, right. And so for me, uh, yes, I was highly compensated. I, I had achieved a, a good level of success. However, um, you know, my oldest at the time, at the time, she was getting ready, I think, to head off to college six months from that point. And, um, you know, I was just looking at, you know, what kind of example am I setting for my kids um, was something that I was thinking about. Um, because I, I wanted them to know, and I, I want them to know, and I have four children, the oldest of which is 22. She's now a college graduate, uh, living in New York City. Uh, she'll be moving to Columbia uh, in August um, as part of a Fulbright. So she's doing great. I'm proud of my kids. 
but I wanted to show them, uh, uh, give them an example of you don't have to go do something for 10, 15, 20 years that isn't necessarily your passion. And so early on, I was very committed to, look, when I got out of law school, I had just from law school, I had six figures in debt. So I had a mortgage on my shoulders just related to those three years of legal education. And, And that's fine because that positioned me to go on and get opportunities that I likely would not have gotten but for that. Um, but it also set me on a course where, you know, I wasn't necessarily pursuing things based upon whether or not that's where my passions lay, but whether or not it was going to be able to help me make a substantial dent into my debt, um, support the family um, and an extended family, because I have I had retired parents. Um, you know, I'm the youngest of five, but I'm the first college graduate in my family. Uh, so I, I've done a lot of I've done a lot of firsts, um, and I also you know play a role not just with my immediate family but my my family that in, included my mother and father at the time now just my father. Um, so all of that the, the success and the the associated income all of that played a role, and I have no regrets about it. But what I do know is that the path that I went on was not one where I was led by my passions. It was, it was, uh, you know, what, what is this going to do for me financially? Um, and then primarily, and then secondarily kind of, you know, you know, do I enjoy what I'm doing? And, you know, do I enjoy the, the teams that I'm building? I'm, I'm blessed to have been in a position where I got to build teams over the years, especially in the, the last role that I was in. So that was enjoyable, but, um, Again, had I chosen based upon passion coming out of law school, I likely would not have been in the corporate arena that I found myself in. And so for my children, you know, what I've tried to uh, impart to them is that, one, I'm doing everything that I can so that you're going to graduate from school with zero in debt. Um, You will not have the excuse that that I had, which is, well, I can't pursue my passions because I've got all this debt I got to take care of. And so, right. um, you know, the, the oldest has now she's graduated debt free. So uh, the first of four, you know, mission accomplished and she's following her passions and and she's doing pro bono things and not for profit. And like I said, she'll be heading off for Fulbright in August. And she's she's kind of set in the example for the children behind her. And so the plan is coming into into effect. Um, so, yeah. so your children was a big, you know, a big impetus for you to actually make the move because you wanted to be you said you wanted to be an example for your kids. And if you had just stayed in the corporate world, then, you know, your actions are showing them that hey, this is the safe place to be. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. So, you can't tell your kids um, to play outside of your comfort zone if you yourself are, are in your comfort zone, scared to make a move. And, and, and Right, but it's hard. Like, think, think about what you said. You're gonna, you're, you got four kids that you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for your college education. Well, taking a risk and going outside the corporate world, you know, how how are you confident to do that and say that say that to your kids? So here, here's the way that I approached it. Um, a lot of people say kind of entrepreneurism, 
is is risky and and scary and 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 you know it, it's something with no guarantees and, and and all of that may be true, but one thing that I knew is that my safety net. I I approach it differently. My safety net was look if this leap of faith, if this entrepreneurial pursuit doesn't work out, I've got enough of an experience and a background. I've got a legal, uh, uh, I got a law degree from an Ivy League law school. I, I've got 20 years in corporate America. Worst case scenario, I can go find me a six-figure job. Um, and, and we're, we're going to eat. We're going to be comfortable. It may not be something that I'm passionate about um, or that I get excited about going to work on a daily basis, but that's my safety net. And so whereas some people say, look, I'm, I'm in this corporate life. I'm in this corporate role it's too risky for me to venture out. And I'm saying to myself, well, you do realize that you could go in tomorrow morning and they could say, you know, Darren, we, you've, you, we, your years of service have been really appreciated, um, but we're eliminating the department or we're eliminating your role or whatever reason. Um, we, Here's a little box to put all your stuff yeah, in. <laughs> we, we, we'll help you pack and help you out. <laughs> we'll, walk you, we'll walk you downstairs to the, through the elevator. Exactly. So, yeah. so, you, so you have a false sense that you have control over your destiny when you really don't. And, and so, right. um, so what you might think is, is safe um, is safe until someone says it's not. And so... I just didn't want to live my entire life in that position where I had this itch, I had this kind of what if, um, or what might that be like, or what would that look like or feel like. I didn't want to live my whole life where I never kind of opened that door and said, well, let me go find and explore and see what it, for myself what it's like. And like I said, my safety net was like, look, if I turn out to be a terrible multifamily owner, operator or investor, you know, I can go get a, a you go I back. can go back. Um, you know, right. I, I, whether it's with that company or another company. Absolutely. So I joke, I got to share this with you. So I joke, I jokingly yeah. told people that when I left corporate life, there's this concept of of, of burning your boats. And you may be familiar with it, Darren. Right. But basically yes. the idea yeah. is. You know, you you take a boat and you get to the island, you anchor it. And, you know, if you need to go back, you can just get back in the boat or you can say, you know what? I'm not giving myself an opportunity to turn back and 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 take take the road back. And so therefore, I'm going to burn my boat, which means I have no choice but to be successful on this island achieving whatever it is that I'm trying to achieve. And so I jokingly tell people that I hadn't burned my boat. I had soaked it in gasoline, um, but I, <laughs> I, I had not kind of... You hadn't lit the You didn't light exactly, the match. Exactly. I hadn't lit the match and hadn't thrown it and, and set it afire. What I did on uh, December 31st of 2021... My family and I, we got together. We had a, an official boat burning ceremony. So my kids, they made uh, boats out of like paper and paper mache, whatever, and everyone made a boat. And so I lit my boat on fire and literally it went up in flames. So this is right on the eve of New Year's. And, uh, and awesome. they did the same. And so theirs was symbolic of things that they were just going to leave behind in the past. And so mine was kind of like, 
I'm leaving corporate life behind and, and I'm burning the boat, no, no bridge back, no return. And then they did it for one reason or another that was meaningful to them. And so um, it, was, it, was, it was big for us. That's awesome. So, you know, for the listener's benefit, look, I went down this path because I think there's a lot of people that listen that want to either get into real estate investing or they want to start their own business. They want to do something different, but they're scared. They're scared to do it. And I'm here to tell you, and Clive's here to tell you that, you know, it's, it's not all security where you're at. And, you know, you only have one life to live and, you know, take some chances. What Clive said, I've heard a lot of people say, what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, in, in Clive's instance, the worst thing that could happen was he's like, okay, I go back and I find another job. Right. Um, so I remember when I started my first company, it was 2007. And people say, what was the hardest part of starting your own company? And I said, it was, signing the lease to the office space that I, that I got. And people were like, what? I don't get it. Like, was it expensive? Was it a long-term lease? Like, I was like, no, once I sign that lease, I have to tell my friends, my family, my ex-colleagues, I'm in business. And there's the fear of failure. Yeah. And then once I was working in the office, I was like, holy cow instead of like getting a 25% commission on deals, all the profit is going to, you know, my business. So, and it's not like I'm doing that things that are that much different, you know, but it's scary. I get it. It's scary. Talk about your first passive deal. Were you scared doing your first passive deal? Um, no, I, I really wasn't. I mean, I, I've, for most of that 20 years, my very first real estate investment was back in 1999. So early in my corporate career. So you were, you were still in corporate when you yeah, did so, it. So I was living in New York City. I bought a duplex property in Cape Coral, Florida. Um, and I self-managed it from New York. And, and the reason I ended up doing that was because my parents had retired there three years earlier. Um, and I said to myself... Um, yeah, I might as well do something where they are. It, what I ended up doing was setting up a checking account, putting both my parents' names on it. I had the rents going into that account. And I basically said, look, when you need something, you don't need to come to me. You have a checking account. But just just take the money, uh, pay for what you need to pay for. And that was my way of subsidizing them in retirement. And so Gotcha. Uh, you know, in my family, uh, you know, I always had an expectation that that's what the children do. Uh, you know, my, neither of my parents are high school graduates. They're, they both have grade school education. And, um, you know, they worked, you know, 16 hours a day. I, I thought everyone worked 16 hours a day when I was growing up. It wasn't until I started getting older and realizing, oh, some people do eight hour shifts and, and, and some people are stay at home moms. And, you know, this this wasn't my reality. I had two parents who were right. immigrants um, and, you know, working 16 hours was the norm for my father. Um, you know, working outside of the house was the norm for my mom. And, you know, she'd been working since she was 14, 15 years old. So so that was my reality. And so um, they didn't have lucrative corporate retirement plans or what have you. So I knew that, you know, in addition to my immediate family, 
you know, I, I always thought of them as part of my responsibility. Um, and so, again, you know, being highly compensated and achieving some of the things I was able to do was benefited my immediate family as well as my parents. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, talk about, um, you know, I know you're big on generational generational wealth. You know, talk about how you view that and, um, you know, how you think about being a leader in that space, not just for your family, but for, for other people in the community. Absolutely. So I, I mentioned a, a couple times now uh, high compensation. And so what, what I tell people and I when you're raising capital like we are, Darren, we, we encounter and have interactions with a lot of uh, highly compensated individuals. And, and, and so what I tell people is that I don't care how highly compensated you are. You cannot pass on your high compensation to your ears. It doesn't work that way. Um, so if you are if you are interested in creating generational wealth, legacy wealth that you're I jokingly say that my not yet conceived grandchildren will be impacted by, you can't be 100 percent focused on earning a high income because um, every year that high income is going to go up a little bit more. But as soon as that job is no more, <laughs> it's gone. And so that's not something that you can pass yeah. on to your children. So you've got to be thinking about what can I be doing now if you're in corporate life? Um, you know, what can you be do? How can you translate that high income into things that are going to contribute to creation of generational wealth that can be passed on to your not yet conceived grandchildren and impact them in a way that maybe you weren't impacted and so I'm, I've found myself talking more and more in the context of multifamily, which is the experience that I have now. I found myself talking more and more, especially to high income earners, about what are you doing to ensure or t- that you're creating generational wealth? And, uh, and far too often, I'm not hearing answers um, that point in the direction of definitive steps that people have taken. And far too many of us are complacent because we are high income earners and we think that's going to be sufficient to sustain us. Um, And frankly, it should be more about. It's also the way we're taught, right? Absolutely. But it's got to be more than just sustaining yourself in retirement. Is that what is, you know, when you're dreaming, is your dream to just sustain yourself, (laughs) to to clothe yourself, to feed yourself and shelter yourself? Hopefully you're dreaming bigger than that and you're thinking about, you know, traveling the world, um, you know, with your significant right. other and maybe sending your parents around the world if, if they're in a position to do that and and things that you want for your children. And 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 again, you're you're not yet conceived grandchildren. And all of that is about much more than sustaining yourself. So it's about creating generational wealth. And um I, I saw a statistic the other day that said that less commercial real estate is represented by less than 2% of African-Americans make up the commercial real estate world. And so when I... Wow, that's, that's a crazy, crazy It, it is. Any way you look at it, it's, it's crazy. And um, I think resident, the residential side is something like between 5 and 6%. And even that is is is, you know relatively small or or disproportionately small. But when you think about less than 2% of commercial real estate, 
And so much wealth is being created in this space. And if we're not fully showing up and represented in that space, that's just, you know, one more obstacle that, that we're not overcoming. And so I'm increasingly talking to, to all communities, but especially the community that I'm familiar with, which is the African-American community. And I'm talking about the role that invested in commercial real estate, specifically multifamily, because that's what I know the role that that can play in creating generational wealth. And that's, that's whether that, you're doing it huge. actively or passively. It, it's, it, it's, it's right. you know, it can be both in many instances. I think that's awesome that you're, you're talking about that because, you know, when you first get involved and I think that you pro- probably fell into this as well. Like I know it happened for me about four years ago. My first, you know, it was all about like, creating wealth for my family and myself. And, but then you realize that you, you, you got access to something that a lot of people don't have. And so for a lot of people, it turns out to be this ripple effect where, you know, other people that are in your network, all of a sudden they're like, Hey, how'd you do it? You know? And, and then you turn around and you help that next person. And maybe they invest in a deal with you and there's a win-win, but maybe you just help somebody. And that's like part of life, like that the joy of helping somebody else, you know? And so you don't realize it at first. So like listeners, I'm telling you, you may not believe it, but you may make your first investment in 2022 and in 2025, you're teaching your friends and family how to do it. Absolutely. And, and I tell people, you don't got to wait until you are the finished product to, to start sharing uh, information and experience. And so I, I was probably, I probably did about half a dozen podcast interviews before I ever landed my first deal. And so I wasn't talking about, you know, I wasn't portraying myself as an expert multifamily investor. I was just merely sharing my journey, talking about my transition from this 20-year corporate life into multifamily investing with aspirations to become a a full-time sponsor of these opportunities. Um, But that resonated with different people, um, you know, based upon where they were at, you know, in their lives. And so there's not a week that goes by where someone isn't reaching out to me and saying, hey, I'm a little further back in my journey, but, you know, what I heard or what I saw in your post or what I saw of you uh, in a podcast interview, it really resonated with me. And, and I have those conversations all the time. And I'm a big proponent of each one, teach one. Um, you know, what, what, what did you one, say? Teach one. If, if you if you I know like it, uh, if you've had the privilege of gaining information or knowledge or experience, you have an obligation to share that with someone else. And if you have an abundance mindset like we do, Darren, you know that you sharing information with others is not in any way going to detract from what you're trying to accomplish. The, the, pie, the pie is right. big enough for all of us to partake in it. And so um, I love talking to people. I love sharing about my journey. Um, and if I know something that they don't, uh, it's almost criminal if I keep that information to myself and not share it with them. And so I think we all have a responsibility. And those of us that are fortunate enough to be successful, I think the responsibility is even greater. I, 
I completely agree. Um, one thing I would add, though, to that is I don't know why, but this commercial real estate, multifamily real estate industry is very collaborative, you know, and maybe because the numbers are big and there's a lot of team members involved. But um, I don't know how it was for you in the corporate world, but I was in a lot of different industries and typically the ones you know, they were super successful. They were keeping it to themselves. They're like, I don't want the next guy to come, come up like so and, and beat me out. So I'm going to hold my cards to, you know, close to my vest and I'm not going to tell them. But in, in real estate, especially multifamily commercial, I've talked to other people that are in single family and they say it's more cutthroat. Um, but people share a lot. It's it's amazing. All you got to do is ask. Absolutely, and that and that's been my experience too. And 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 I come from a, you know, I I went to a very competitive law school. I then landed on Wall Street, and so so I know what the competitive world is. Where it's like, right? You know, I mean, in some other industries, people are gonna not tell you right how to absolutely. be successful, and you got to figure it out on absolutely. your own. But here. Look, there's people to to reach out to, and and there's examples, and they're willing to lend a hand and all that. So that, I mean, it's it's fantastic. Hey, you talked about it earlier. It's a, you know you weren't an overnight success. Most people are not an overnight success. Even like the athletes that catch the you know the the winning touchdown. That guy spent so many years in the gym before that, but people just remember that you know the game winning catch. But talk about perseverance and determination because I have seen people come into this industry and they have an expectation that, all right, within six months or a year, I'm going to get my first deal. And if they don't, I see some of them kind of peter out. And, and so you had the perseverance and determination to stick with it. You know, how'd you do that? Yeah. So, so that self-directed real estate MBA that I mentioned that was an investment in myself. And so when you when you uh, pay for education or invest in education, you are making a bet on yourself. And so for me, for me to one, I'm stubborn. So so that that's part of the formula. Um, but if you're <laughs> I'm you not a Taurus, a Taurus I'm, I'm a Libra. Um, <laughs> All right. But uh, <laughs> I'm stubborn. I'm stubborn too. And I'm a tourist. It's one of the characteristics. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. so, so yeah. once you make that investment in yourself, you are saying that I'm putting these chips on Clive. I'm putting these chips in on Clive to be successful. And if at any point you say, you know what, I gave it a good try, but I'm, I'm going to walk away without obtaining or attaining the thing that you were pursuing for me, that's almost like saying that, you know what, you weren't a good bet. <laughs> you turned out to be a poor bet. And, and so, um, you know, I, I, my ego is probably uh, plus or minus the same size as, as most folks. Um, but I'm just unwilling to say that anything that I've invested the, the hours and the time and the resources and the sacrifices into, that I can't be successful at it. And so for me... Um, had I said, it, you know, I got to get my first deal in six months or 12 months, and if I don't, I'm walking away, um, that one, it would have been premature in my case. Um, two, mm. it would have it would have meant that I needed to jump back in that boat and sail back to, to corporate life or a corporate job. 
Um, and I just wasn't willing to, to do that. I knew that um, I was going to get the job done. It was a matter of how long would it take, not if I would get the job done. And so that's my whole mentality when it comes to achieving anything worthwhile is that I can do it. It's just a matter of what's the timeline look like and, and the timeline you can't necessarily right. control. And so once you embrace the, the, the lack of safety, if you will, of entrepreneurism, you know that you don't have the comfort of when you're in a corporate job every two weeks or whatever, periodically, uh, you're going to have a direct deposit that's going to hit. And um, barring you doing something silly to get yourself fired um, or something outside of your control happening, those direct deposits are going to keep coming. But once you go down this entrepreneurial path, there is no set timeline. There is no manual that says, do this step, this step, and this step, and in 12 months, you'll land your first deal. And in, in month 13, you'll start asset managing. And in month 14, you'll, it just doesn't work like that. And so for me, it's an investment in myself. And I just knew that I was committed to that path and that journey. And I always have this image of, I don't know if you've seen this, Darren, but there's this, this picture, I've seen uh, memes of it uh, it's floating around social media where you've got some guy who is, He's digging for diamonds. He's in, he's in a mine and he's chipping away, he's chipping away. And little does he know, right on the other side, he's been chipping away for a long period of time, but little does he know he's about a foot away from a, a diamond just stash. And he has, he no, has idea, no idea. And he just says, you know what? I've been at this too long. He turns around and he starts heading out the mine. And then someone else comes along and they chip once, twice, third time, lo and behold, it's, it's, it's a diamond. Oh. Diamonds are flowing out. And so. I've never seen that, but, it, but it, yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, um, I do. I think that, so I, you know, I applaud you for your perseverance and determination um, to, you know, to stick with it because, um, you know, it's tough. It is tough. And, you know, I will, I'll tell people that, I don't know if you see this, but, you know, I kind of liken it as the 80-20 rule. Like if if in any other industry that you've been in, you kind of figure it out and you you rise up to be the top 20%, like that same thing's going to happen. And, you know, whether it's real estate investing or you go out to start your own company or whatever, if you're the type of person that is going to keep plugging and pushing and pivoting to find a way, you will be successful. You don't have to know it all to start with. But if you're a person that first time something, you know, troubling comes along, you don't get your way, you don't, and you just quit, you know, it's probably not the space for you. Yeah. And then you, once you do get that breakthrough, um, and I, I just attended a, a multifamily conference this past weekend in Dallas, um, but one of the concepts uh, that, that I always kind of heard about but had not experienced is the law of the first deal. So as you know, Darren, the law of the first deal says going from zero to one, one being your first deal, is going to be the hardest deal that you will ever do in terms of how long it takes, uh, the challenges, the obstacles that you have to overcome, all of those things. But going from one to two or one to three or more 
the, each one of those subsequent deals comes more easily. And, and I'd heard that for, you know, <laughs> a long time. And I was like, yeah, well, I just got to get my first one and then we'll see if it's true. Right. And right. Why do you think that's why true? do I think it's true is because I, yeah. I liken the the multifamily world and kind of the brokerage community, which is part of it. I liken it to a country club of some sorts. And so you get an initial entry to the country club is pretty hard. But once you get in the door and people are like, oh, OK, he has a membership. Um, then you saying, I want to go play squash or I want to go, play, you know, then you have the run of the country club. It's like, OK, he's one of us now. He's been vetted. He's right. in. So now let's see what he does when he's inside the country club. Uh, it's a much different position than being on the outside, kind of, you know, rubbing the window and putting your nose against the window and saying, I want to I, <laughs> right. I want to get in. Um, and so for me, I landed that first deal. We closed it in November of 21. Um, I remember it so well. I was actually in, so even before that, so before we closed the deal, we got awarded the deal summer of 21. I was actually in Dallas uh, for an event and I went up to my hotel room for the buyer interview on this deal that I had locked in. So I went up to the hotel room. We did the buyer interview, um, chatted with the seller. 20 minutes after, we got a call back. Congratulations, you've been awarded the deal. So celebratory time, you know, everything that I've been Fantastic. waiting for. And I flew back to Atlanta. So this is a Friday. I flew back to Atlanta. I think I got back to Atlanta, I want to say it was a Sunday. On Monday, I got a call from a broker who I been in conversations with for the better part of two years. Uh, it was not a broker associated with a deal that I had been awarded. And he says, Clive, congratulations. I, I heard that you got awarded XYZ deal. And I'm saying to myself, well, how the hell? I just got back to Atlanta. I just got awarded that deal <laughs> right. on Friday. How the hell did you hear that I got awarded this deal? And he's like, well, anyway, I've got these two deals. They're, they're not yet marketed. I've got BOVs, broker opinion of values that I can share. Just sign this NDA and I'll send them over to you. You can check them out, see if they meet your criteria. So this is a broker I've been talking to for two years, had never received an off-market deal from. And literally the same weekend or a day after I return, I'm getting that call that says, hey, I heard you got admitted to the country club. You right. might want to take a look exactly. at these two opportunities. And so, you know, it's amazing how it works. And so fast forward to the closing of that deal. So I closed that first deal we got awarded in November. The same week, we were awarded our second deal. Now, obviously, that second deal, we'd been putting in work and effort long before that week. But nonetheless, one sure. thing I know that that broker, I didn't, I should ask him, but one thing I know that that broker was able to say to his client, the seller of that second deal was, because you know, Darren, every seller is going to say, who are these guys and can they close the deal? Right. So I know that that right. broker, Cushman broker, was able to say, when he got those questions, he was able to say, well, uh, while we haven't transacted with them, they just closed another deal this week. And by the way, it happens to be less than five miles away from your property. 
and it's of this size and this many units and what have you. H- had Perfect. we not closed that first deal and he was responding to that question from his client, he would have been, had to say, I've not transacted with them. I don't know whether they can close, um, but I know he's been pursuing deals for the last couple of years. That's a very different conversation. When the seller hears that, they're probably like, well, let's go to the next buyer on the list because right. I need someone who's... Who else, who else is part of this, right? Exactly. So that law of the first deal, 100% was my experience. I think that, um, you know, I, whether it be brokers, sellers, whoever, everybody knows it's hard to get your first deal. You know, everybody knows. And then so if you do it, they're like, oh, man, that... That guy's got something. He's got something that, you know, that got him through the door. And he's, he's showed he's committed, you know, he's committed to the space and committed to, to um, the industry and to building up his portfolio. So that, that's huge. Hey, talk about um, pivoting because I haven't even asked you whether you did, but like, you know, whether you started your own business or whether you get into, you know, real estate in the, in the beginning, you don't really understand kind of where you're going to be positioned and you may end up having to kind of change your strategy along the way. You have to pivot somehow. So did you have to pivot in any way and how'd you do it? So I, I think your, your approach, your tactics, uh, one, you've got to be flexible in this space. You, you can't come into this space and say, I'm going to do it this way and this is the way I'm going to do it and, and not be open to making adjustments and, 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 you know, even, you know, when you're driving and, and, uh, you know, Waze or your GPS says you got three ways to go. If you're just like, nope, I'm on, this is the only way I'm going. And even if there's, you know, uh, an hour's worth of traffic ahead of me, I'm only going that way. You've got to be flexible. As long as everything is in furtherance and in the direction of your ultimate destination, you've got to be open to taking a different course. And so for me, um, I know my criteria, my buying criteria has constantly evolved over the time. Uh, even before I got that first deal, that, those two years, the deal that I offered on, my, submitted my first LOI on in April of 2019, 12 months after that, I would not even have looked at that property because one, the, the, the number mm. of units, it was less than 100 units. It was a C-class property. And over the course of time, my, my, my uh, buying criteria was evolving with the market. Um, and, and my knowledge was, was hopefully growing um, with the increased exposure and education that I was uh, exposed to. So, uh, also, you've got to be you, you got to know that I always say that I had a plan, a preferred partner to do my deals with. And so um, I always knew that there was a possibility that I could land that first deal and go to my plan, a preferred partner. And he could say, man, Clive, it looks like a great deal, but I can't be involved because X, Y, or Z. And let's just say that, you know, right. maybe he has a conflicting he, deal where he's going to be raising money for that deal right. on the he same just, time. He on. just said yes to, on another deal. Exactly. So he can't do so, it. So, so I knew that I, I needed to, one, develop relationships and, and, and have potential plan B and plan C partners. Um, 
And so you just can't get locked into, I'm only going to do a deal if it looks like this, or I'm only going to do a deal if it's with this person, because those things are out of your control. That's a huge thing. You know, huge thing. Like I've, I've talked to people where they're like, oh, I've got this guy that, you know, will partner with me. He's out in the Midwest and he owns 5,000 units. And I'm like, well, what if you call him? Just that example. What if, what if you get a deal, you're in best and final, you call him and he's like, oh, man, I'd love to work with you, but I just committed to this other deal. Like you have to have other people lined up that know you, trust you, respect you, and are willing to work with you. Or else you're going to lose all credibility with the brokers, and they're not going to they're not going to bring you into the next deal. You know, so I mean, I think that's a great point. Underwriting is another area. I don't know if you experienced this, but when I started underwriting, you know, underwriting for the listeners, if you haven't done it before, is just basically taking data from a bunch of different documents and putting it into an Excel spreadsheet to determine whether, you know, the the um, the investment is a good investment for the for investors. And whether the returns are going to be there. But when you're doing that, there's so many different decision points. And when I started, it was I always took the conservative approach, right? And then, well, if you do that in every different instance, all of a sudden, no deal looks good. Yeah. Right? So you have to pivot and learn from other people that are winning deals. You know, how are you underwriting? You know, and can you get comfortable with that? Um, so that that's another area of, of looking at things a little bit differently. Um, that's huge. Um, it could be, you know, looking at major markets versus, you know, um, tertiary markets, you know, so tertiary markets don't have as much competition. Um, so if you're unsuccessful in the major markets, maybe look at some of the tertiary markets. Um, so, Talk about networking and how that's, you know, one, did you realize you had to do do as much networking as, as you do? And then two, kind of what have been in the, um, some of the things that you think you've done right and, and have helped you along the way. So uh, this, this space that we're in, Darren, as you know, uh, relationships are everything. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, I'd heard that before, um, but you, you see that firsthand when you get into this space. And so I c- compare and contrast kind of my networking and my networking skill set back when I was in corporate life versus my networking skill set today. And f- quite frankly, when I in those 20 years of corporate life, networking was not essential to my success. I could, you know, it wasn't going to impact uh, for the most part, you know, my take home pay. Um you know, uh, I probably could have been more successful within the corporate context and maybe I maybe have moved up faster or maybe someone would have taken a liking to liking to me if I had uh, been better at networking. Um, but at the end of the day, for me, I did not think networking was essential to me being successful. Um, when fast forward or transition to uh, multifamily real estate, from day one, it's all about networking. The very first, of, the huge. very first event that you go to, you're, it's it's like speed dating. There's going to be bit, there's going to be <laughs> business cards being exchanged. There's going to be people kind of trying to get to know. Well, who are you? What do you do? What, you know, where are you in your journey? 
everything is about sharing of yourself and in turn people sharing with you. And the people that you date well with are potential partners, potential collaborators, potential investors in your opportunities. You never know where your investment dollars are going to come from. Um, you never know who you potentially are going to collaborate with and partner with. And so you're always on your best behavior when it comes to networking in our space. And it's all about, let me see if I can get to the point where they know, like, and trust me. And, and, and in turn, I can get to a point where I know, like, and trust them um, wherever the relationship's going to go. So I would say my skill set today versus what it was in corporate America it's, it's night and day. And, and so uh, I am constantly on the phone, in Zoom meetings, uh, talking to people one-to-one. And I don't necessarily go into these calls saying that, you know, this is a potential uh, partner or this is a potential investor or this is a, you know, I just talk to people. And during the course of those conversations, you kind of figure out, you know, uh, are there opportunities for us to collaborate in some way? Is there something that I can share with them that that would be a value add to them? And and hopefully they're on the other end thinking the same way. But it's 100 percent about networking. Um, You know, if you talk about broker relationships, uh, um, if you're not prepared and willing to network, you need to find another career, another lane. Because multifamily is not for you if you're not prepared to put in the time to legitimately network and and authentically share yourself and authentically be curious about other people. Yeah, I, I like how you said you know, date well with. You know, I mean that that it could sound funny like you know speed dating and date well with, but it's true. I mean, there's you don't go into it thinking like, okay, this is. I'm I'm talking to this person so they could be a partner, but you walk away like I really like that person, and I got the sense that they really like me. Like and and then in our conversation, they like to do this part of the business, and I like to do this part of the business. And man, we we'd have together we're better than you know separate. And so all of a sudden you start you know realizing those things, and then otherwise you're like you said passive investors. You know, like, hey, I really like Clive, and like, when he gets a deal, I'm, I'm interested in working with him, and I love the Atlanta market, and he's in, he's there, he's boots on the ground. I don't know anybody else there, um, you know. And then it could be, just like from operations standpoint, you network with other syndicators, and maybe you don't partner with them, but you, look, you've never had a fire at your location, and then all of a sudden. You know, two two times ago, two networking sessions ago, you talked to these syndicators and they they just had a fire. You call them and you're like, how'd you yeah. handle that? And they're like, oh, it was easy. And in a five-minute conversation, like what could have been really scary, you're like, oh, it's, they, you know, they already helped me through it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Man, so, hey, what's the next big stretch goal for you? Where do you go from here? So I think the next... Um, I, I, I mean, for 2022, I kind of I'm focused on kind of 2022. But as I think kind of beyond that, the three to five year plans beyond that, um, I I know it's a matter of time when I get into the development world. And so development for me is kind of a logical next step or transition. Um, 
uh, or addition to what I'm doing now. I, I mean, I, I still consider myself a, a babes uh, in the woods in terms of my multifamily experience. Um, and, and I'm going to do more deals without a doubt. Um, but I'm also drawn to, and I talked early in our conversation, Darren, about kind of your passion. Um, and so I've always had a, a strong interest in developing something from scratch. And so combining that with the passion for real estate, entrepreneurism, all roads lead to you're going to get into development. It's not an if, it's when. Awesome. And so that is something that I've, I've, I've taken some small steps already. Uh, kind of in preparation. Um, I have a small GP interest in a development project here in Atlanta, but it's, you know, it's not my deal. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm sure. But you, but you learn from that, right? Absolutely. And so again, it's just a matter of time when I get into that. And, and for me, the idea of developing, um, building communities, uh, that, that is something that gets me going and gets my juices going. And so, uh, that's, that, that would be, uh, an answer that I think would be spot on in terms of your question. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, for the listeners benefit, the one thing that I've learned and I've seen, and when I drive around, I think about is that there really is no ceiling in, in real estate, you know, where look in your corporate job, you can look at the top level guys and you're like, how much are they making? How much they work in, you know, there, but there's a ceiling. You know, and, and in real estate, there's really not a ceiling. So what do I mean by that? Well, you drive down talk about development, massive, you know, retail complexes, high rise buildings, like resorts, you know, there's, there's so many different places that you can play in this game and, and, you know, really push your comfort zone, you know, and some people, like to do something and then just be repetitive and they're comfortable with that. And some people want to stretch and, and do stuff that they haven't done before. And it provides you both opportunities. That's, that's what's fantastic about it. So I love that. I look forward to seeing some of your development deals. I know you're going to do it. What do you like to do outside of work for fun? Outside of work. So I'm a huge, uh, I'll let's call it soccer because uh, we're in America, although its true name is football around the rest of the world. Um, football, so that's, right. the, that's my sport. I, I grew up in the UK and I played that for most of my life. And um, so I'm, I'm a big football fan and uh, I love track and field. Uh, and, and so on my bucket list, I've, I've already checked off a few things. So I, I Went to Brazil for the World Cup back in 2014. I was awesome. Where, where'd you go? We were we were based we were based in Sao Paulo, um, and then we we that was our base, okay. and then we traveled to games and other places from there. But that was our base. Um, and then two years after that, I went to the Olympics in Rio. Um, and so two of my oh, two of the biggest, cool. most meaningful sporting events to me, at least. Um, I, I've been able to check off the bucket list and next month. Yeah. How did you like going to the Olympics? I'm curious. Oh man. The Olympics in Rio. Was it awesome? <laughs> the, the answer is a hundred percent. Yes. Um, I, I, I love oh, the Brazilian awesome. people. Uh, I love the, the, the Olympics. Right. I mean, I'd go to the Olympics anywhere, but, uh, to be in Rio where I, I had not been before I'd been to Brazil many times, but not to Rio. 
So it was a great experience. I, I was able to actually take my sister with me. We had never, so that was kind of a, my way of treating her. So we got to experience that together. Very cool. Um, so great experience. And um, next month, yeah. It is, it is a bucket list for me too. I have not been, so that's why I'm, I'm curious as to how, how it was. Um, that, that's fantastic. You had a great experience. And like you said, Rio is, is absolutely beautiful. Um, I did get a chance to go both to Sao Paulo and Rio, and, and it is gorgeous. I can't imagine being there um, during that time. So that's fantastic. And so next month, I will be going to the World Track and Field Championships, which will be in the U.S. for the very first time. I was surprised to, to learn that, but it's going to be Eugene, Oregon. Um, and uh, so I'll be there for just under two weeks, uh, partaking in that and, and getting to see the, the greatest track and field athletes from around the world competing. So another a bucket list item checked off. So bucket list items, you know. Typically, you have to have the funds to do it, right? And you have to have the time. And some, you know, so the corporate real estate, you know, the real estate investing world gives you that opportunity, one, to make money, and two, to have the flexibility of your time to go do that. So that, that's awesome. Hey, what, if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I'm I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on uh, Facebook. Those are uh, platforms where I can be found, and I'm fairly active. But really, the best way to get a hold of me is I, I recently launched my website, which is parkroyalcapital.com. Um, and so I'm really proud of that. I I kind of uh, I went off. I got I started this multifamily business, and now I'm getting around to putting in place some of the support and infrastructure and and. Uh, the website is one one key component of that, and so I'm really proud of what we put together there. So if you go to that website, parkroyalcapital.com, uh, you can book a call with me. You can follow me on social media. All of the ways to contact me can be found there. Listeners, I mean, this is a space that people are willing to share. People are willing to let you know how they did it, you know, and and genuinely want other people to be successful. So reach out to Clive, you know, get a better understanding how he did it, get in part, you know, of some of his deals. You know, I'm, I look forward to seeing his development deals coming forward. And um, Clive, appreciate you coming on. Listeners, until next week, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at DarrenBatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.